In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. What a week. You can go to any national outlet for a deep dive in the debate over impeachment, but we're here to focus on the Georgia angle. And it was a watershed moment in Georgia, too. That's why we're joined by Tamar Hallerman, our Washington correspondent for today's episode. Hey, Tamar. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. You're, 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 you're a very frequent, frequent guest. So let's set the stage. Georgia is home to five House Democrats, including two who are some of the most outspoken critics of, of President Donald Trump. John Lewis has skipped his inauguration, won't even use his name sometimes. Hank Johnson hasn't been to his State of the Union addresses, yet they've been against impeachment all this time. Why is that, Tamar? Yeah, as you mentioned, Greg, Hank Johnson and John Lewis are are the two most progressive members of the Georgia delegation. But at the same time, they're both deeply loyal to Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who until Monday night, uh, we didn't know that until kind of recently, but until Monday night was kind of firmly against going down the impeachment path. She she really worried that the public wasn't fully behind it, and, and she she was really worried it would hurt Democrats' chances in 2020. So she kind of urged everyone to focus on investigating the president, but to not um, get on the impeachment bandwagon too early. A lot of that changed over the last week, given all the revelations about the president's uh, phone call with the leader of Ukraine and, and this uh, whistleblower complaint, whether the White House was hiding all of that. So we didn't find this out until about Wednesday when some national reporters broke it. But but Pelosi made the call on Monday night. And on Tuesday morning is really when we started seeing a lot of movement. Um, it started in Georgia with Hank Johnson, who at about 1030 in the morning announced that he was going to back impeachment. And at noon, John Lewis got onto the, the well of the House floor and uh, gave a very powerful speech about why he, why he thought that the time was now um, to, to impeach the president. And he, and he talks about um, you know the the president's lack of respect for a lot of the constitutional norms and and uh, you know the institutions that have been set up over the last fifty some years. How he's been stonewalling a lot of congressional investigations into his administration, and he mentioned that that he has problems sleeping sometimes thinking about the direction of the country. So so that was a really 
watershed moment for a lot of folks. People were really looking to John Lewis, at least in the delegation, to kind of lead on on that matter. And and when he did, the dam kind of broke. But it's also worth noting that, you know, in about the the 12, 18 hours that preceded that, you saw a lot of what we call frontline Democrats, the most vulnerable de- uh, Democrats in the House, a lot of whom were elected in the fall in districts that voted for Trump in 2016, who on their own had been coming out and saying, you know, it's time to declare our support for impeachment. And and that was a big moment. Yeah, because you're you're in Washington, you're in the middle of, of this hurricane of, of, of news. And several of those frontline Democrats from 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 sort of kind of swingy states um, all over all over the country who were who had national security backgrounds. But seven of them wrote an op ed in the Washington Post that made a lot of news and, and probably helped influence some other decisions. It, it gave some 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 it probably gave some uh, some Democrats cover. What was really interesting was seeing kind of all corners of the caucus, liberals, moderates, you know, blue dog Democrats, all sorts of people who had who had been very reluctant um, for for whatever reason, for various reasons, right? Some of them were reluctant because they didn't they wanted to stick with Nancy Pelosi. Some of them were reluctant because they were in swing districts themselves. Some of them were reluctant because um, impeachment they thought was a was a really tough proposition in 2020 and could hurt the party. There's all sorts of reasons they were reluctant, but you started seeing all corners of of, of the Democratic caucus coming out, and there's no better sort of view of that than than here in Georgia, where you have John Lewis and Hank. Hank Johnson come out in, in favor of impeachment, and also Sanford Bishop and David Scott, who um, who aren't particularly, um, you know, they, they don't really get the spotlight that often, do they? Exactly, they're they're two of the the moderates in a. Uh in Georgia politics, or relative moderates anyway. There, there are a lot of issues where they really are kind of fully behind um, you know, the Speaker and the Democratic Party, but especially for David Scott on a lot of foreign policy and economic issues, you see him leaning um, toward the center, toward the Republican Party. And Sanford Bishop, of course, in the past has been an NRA Democrat. On the, on the David Scott thing, I was mentioning D- David Perdue, Republican first-term incumbent, calls David Scott one of his biggest allies, his best Democratic friends, uh, in the Capitol. So that shows you kind of where, where just, just how, um, how bipartisan, how, how amenable he is sometimes to Republican policies. Exactly. But, but on the other hand, you know, there, there have been a couple test votes over the last year or so on impeachment, non-binding resolutions that were not endorsed by party leaders that were kind of being forced, you know, the, the House was being forced to vote on. And we did see Sanford Bishop, or sorry, not Sanford Bishop, David Scott vote for one of those last year. So we'd been watching him. He was interesting because he refused to make any public statements on the matter. We'd been kind of bugging his team a lot over the over the last year to kind of weigh in on it. And even in person, he kind of declined my my request to talk about impeachment. So we saw him come out, but even more surprising to me was Sanford Bishop in a way. Um, and, and the way that he talked about it in his statement, he's a senior member of the Appropriations Committee. They're the ones who, of course, dole out federal federal spending, including foreign aid, which has been at the heart of this um, you know, fight over Ukraine and, and what exactly the president was talking to him about and what exactly, you know, whether he was, uh, whether it was clear to the Ukrainian president, whether foreign aid to them, military aid from the U.S. was being kind of dangled over his head. And what we saw in Bishop's statement, you know, him saying, you know, these allegations that the president withheld congressionally appropriated taxpayer dollars, 
that's what he was really focused on and kind of concerned about, you know, if the work I'm doing on, a, on the appropriations committee doesn't matter, that's, that's very troubling from a constitutional sense. You mentioned David Scott um, had, had kind of ducked questions, um, what, said he declined to comment when you've been asking him over the last few months. John Lewis had kind of done that too, right? And he, he had hinted a few days ago that, that his decision was nearing, but he hadn't really, um, uh, you know, gone on the subject full bore uh, until that really dramatic speech. And you, you've mentioned it a little bit earlier, but just talk about the moment, what, what that was like in the U.S. House. Sure. Well, I've been trying to get him to talk to me about this for months. <laughs> and every time I'd approach him, he'd have this little twinkle in his eye. I mean, kind of, and, and I always got the impression that that he wanted to back impeachment, but felt, and, and he would say, you know, I stand with the speaker. It was kind of out of respect for his friend that he wasn't going to step in because John Lewis holds a really important role in the Democratic caucus. He's seen as as kind of this moral figure. The conscience of the Congress is, is kind of what you hear Democrats say of him. And so he knows that when he's going to speak out on something, it's going to make Pelosi's life a lot more difficult. So that's what was so interesting. You know, we got a heads up about 15 minutes before he went onto the House floor that he was going to speak. And we all knew exactly what that was. And, and kind of the question in the back of my mind, because we hadn't heard from Pelosi at that point, was whether you know, if he was speaking out, whether that meant she was behind it too. And of course, by the, by the end of the day, we knew that that was the case, but that was important to note. And, um, you know, he came onto the speech and, or sorry, onto the house floor and for about, you know, 10 minutes was, was talking about for, for him, it, it was all about kind of saving the future of, <laughs> of the Republic and our constitutional duties. Um, very powerful stuff. Yeah. He said, one of the things he said is the time is act, the, the, the time to act is now. That, that, that Democrats had been debating this for too long and now is the time to act. And I, I think you said the dam broke. Well, it, it certainly did after that. I mean, you, you, you just saw more and more and more House Democrats, um, including a majority of, uh, of the House Democratic, by far a majority of the House Democratic Caucus, um, come out and support um, impeachment. And, and, and at, the, at the time of this recording, you have most Democrats, one independent who used to be a Republican and zero Republicans um, supporting impeachment and, and a majority of the overall House. Um, so if, it, if, if, if Nancy Pelosi decides it needs to come to some sort of vote, it will, it will have the, the numbers needed. Exactly. And what's so amazing to see is just how quickly this has changed. Um, I saw a great analysis. It was either in the Post or the Times about how this whistleblower, whoever this this CIA officer is has done more for the impeachment effort in you know a couple weeks than than Bob Mueller did in two and a half years and and this is just so completely different from where we were a week ago it's very amazing well we mentioned four of the five House Democratic members but we haven't talked about Lucy McBath and let's get into that too because we had we had some surprises and some not so surprises in terms of the House Democratic members who in Georgia who supported impeachment. And then there was Lucy McBath, who on Tuesday um, flatly ignored all questions um, about where she stood on impeachment. And then on Wednesday, a day after, kind of tried to thread a needle. And tomorrow, I'll let you explain um, what her position is. Sure. Yeah. And it, it took a, a long time for us to kind of figure out exactly where she was. And, and you know, she's Georgia's frontline Democrat right now. She flipped 
the 6th Congressional District in the fall, which was represented by Tom Price and Karen Handel, Johnny Isaacson, Newt Gingrich. Um, so still very much, you know, a purple district. Republicans would argue it's still a red district. And this was a this was a fluke. And, um, you know, McBath knows that that every move she makes, every word she says is being closely monitored. So she's taken a really careful approach over the last um couple weeks. She sits on the Judiciary Committee, which um, until recently anyway, was at the the center of, of the impeachment inquiry. They voted two weeks ago. So before we knew about the Ukrainian whistleblower, they voted two weeks ago to set the parameters of the impeachment inquiry, which basically allowed gave their committee more power to kind of you know, to let their staff question witnesses, um, you know, having Trump's lawyers be able to respond to their inquiries in writing, that sort of thing. So she voted in favor of that two weeks ago. But at the time, her team really emphasized to us that that means she's supportive of the process, but it's not the same as supporting outright impeachment. And then on Wednesday, after all this Ukrainian stuff came to light, they said her position hasn't changed. She, she still supports the inquiry, even though the inquiry is kind of different now, you know, we've crossed this Rubicon that that we didn't cross two weeks ago um, and that she continues to support Congress's ability to investigate. So still stopping well short of impeachment, but also kind of hinting that she's uh, she's supportive of the process. And Republicans are kind of going to town on this one, saying that she's trying to have it both ways. Um, Karen Handel, uh, who's running, who's trying to to run again, uh, trying to seek a rematch against Lucy McBath, although she has some Republican opponents too. She says that Lucy McBath dodged questions and is trying to ignore the issue. And and they're all very mindful. We don't have we have not seen recent polling numbers because of this. This is you know just developing this week. But previous polls showed the the prospect of impeachment was was not very popular in the sixth district, which as you mentioned has been Republican held for. For, for decades before Lucy McBath's upset victory. Um, so Republicans get the sense, understand, so does, as does McBath, that she's in a tricky spot here and they're going to try to press this to their advantage because as we all know now that impeachment is, be, is, 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 is a firm thing now, it's not some proposition. It, it is, it, House Democrat is moving forward with, with impeachment proceedings. This will reshape next year's election and it could be the... It, it could be the defining stance that Lucy McBath has, at least at least when it comes to this whole all this political calculation business. Exactly. And she's being pressured from both sides, right? You know, on the one hand are all the Republicans who are saying, look, our district doesn't want this. They circulate this this Republican poll from earlier this summer that showed 60% of, of residents in the 6th district don't want it. At the same time, that was in the old world order when we were still talking about the Mueller report before all this Ukrainian stuff. I've seen national polls showing, you know, support for impeachment jumped 7% since all of that came to light. Now, now we don't know about Georgia or about the 6th district. But it's also worth noting that that McBath is being pressured by a lot of her more liberal supporters to back the probe. I mean, Greg, you were at a town hall meeting with her earlier this month where, where she was under pressure for not taking a firmer stand in favor of impeachment. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the more liberal um, uh, voters in the 6th district who volunteered for her campaign and knocked on doors and made phone calls and, and gave money, um, you know, they're, they're, they're driven by a lot of different factors, including her stance uh, on gun control. Um, and on healthcare, but at the same time, uh, at that town hall meeting, you could see and you could hear from them themselves, they wanted her to take a firmer stance. And again, this was long before 
we were talking about Ukrainian leader and 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 and, and phone calls and military aid and on all the things that are in the whistleblower complaint, all the things that are that are coming to light now. This was back in the Mueller era. So things have changed and things have also changed for Democratic candidates for a lot of these higher offices, because just as the, the dam broke in, in, the, in the Democratic controlled U.S. House, it also broke, it seemed, uh, for a lot of these candidates who had been taking a similar position, sort of like more investigation, we need more time to see to see to investigate these allegations. Well, a lot of these candidates who had, who had been also saying that they flipped, starting with Carolyn Bordeaux. She was the runner-up in the seventh district, which is parts of Gwinnett, Forsyth County. Um, she had been saying the same thing: we need to we, we need more time to investigate. Well, early Tuesday morning, she said she now supported impeachment. And we also had several Senate candidates to, to a varying to varying degrees support or at least express openness to the idea of impeachment. Former Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson had, had, had was supportive of impeachment almost from the get-go. I mean, she, she staked that position very early in her Senate campaign. But Clarkston Mayor Ted Terry and business executive Sarah Zamico had not. They both came out in support of impeachment. And then John Ossoff, the newest entry to the race, um, had a different, more nuanced take. He said he would support impeachment if the allegations proved true. So that, too, is not an outright endorsement of impeachment by any means. Instead, he said, if all these allegations, if the investigation shows that Trump was trying to extract promises um, out of Ukraine to influence next year's election, then he would support impeachment. Exactly. And and we're going to see Republicans really go on offense on this. They they really see this as a winning issue for them. And for example, in the 7th District, within hours of, of Bordeaux making her announcement in favor of impeachment proceedings, you saw um, Lynn Homrick, a former Home Depot executive who's running for the Republican nomination, come out with a robocall to 50,000 voters in the district saying, you know, See, look at how, you know, she follows Nancy Pelosi, too liberal for this district, you know, support my campaign. And and so you really are seeing people go on the offense. And same with David Perdue's, you know, Republican allies really going after Ted Terry and and John Ossoff and, and Sarah Rigsamico in the aftermath of their announcement. And so far on the Republican side, it's just worth noting that you know, we're seeing a united front among members of our, our delegation. None of them have publicly raised any sort of doubt about the president, you know, they they all are kind of brushing off what they've heard about or seen with the the transcript of the the call between the president and the Ukrainian leader and this whistleblower report saying that it's second or third hand information. You know, we'll be watching that closely, but it, it is very important to note that you know, so far, no cracks, no cracks, and um, mentioning Georgia Georgia folks in, on the Republican side in the limelight. You mentioned David Perdue who's up for re-election and is one of Trump's staunchest allies, but also Congressman Doug Collins. He has that, he's the leading Republican on the Judiciary Committee where a lot of this impeachment action will, will unfold. And he's also a potential U.S. Senate appointee. He, he filed his resume to Governor Kemp's office just a few days ago. So he has been all over cable news nonstop. I think he, one day it seemed like he had 12 or 14 different hits uh, in the span of just a few hours. And President Trump retweeted one of his clips on the Lou Dobbs show just the other day. So he is in in a very, very prominent role as, as not, not Trump's chief defender, certainly, but one of his top defenders 
um, all over the airwaves, all over cable news, all over printed media and digital media, so and all over social media. So that is a dynamic to watch out for, especially when we consider, hey, you know, in the next few weeks, um, there there's a good chance he could be on some form or fashion on some sort of shortlist for for Governor Kemp's uh, uh, Senate appointments. Absolutely. But also worth noting that in the next couple of weeks, his role will, will change, not only because of all the potential Senate maneuvering, but also because this Ukrainian stuff, all of the Ukrainian stuff is, is kind of moving the, the battlefield for um, this impeachment query inquiry, less in the Judiciary Committee, where Collins is the ranking Republican, and more toward the House Intelligence Committee. So this will give, um, you know, Collins will still, of course, I'm expecting him to be a huge defender of the president, and especially to be kind of a procedural nightmare for Democrats as they try and move things, you know, across the floor, and, and it will have to go back to judiciary at some point. Um, but this will allow him to kind of focus more on legislative stuff if he chooses to. He can play that kind of bipartisan legislator card, which worked really well for him last year. So he'll be able to kind of change his role a little bit if he wants. He can kind of take a step back if he wants. Or maybe he makes the calculation that being out in the limelight, being a forceful defender of Trump, maybe that's exactly where he wants to be. And maybe that will help him get the Senate appointment. And on a slightly different note, while we're talking about Senate potential Senate appointments, we, we would be remiss not to mention a big, huge name who entered the, the debate um, a few days ago, and that would be former Health Secretary Tom Price, who, as you mentioned earlier, used to represent that 6th District. Actually, his appointment um, to, to Trump's cabinet back in 2017 triggered all, the, all that crazy John Ossoffer's Karen Handel election later that year and kind of paved the way for Lucy McBath to be in this seat. So it all, everything in Georgia politics kind of links back <laughs> to the same few cast of characters. But Tom Price submitted his resume to, to Governor Kemp's office. He is not really seen as a, as of course he is a serious contender because he, he, he had one of the highest offices appointed offices in the land and, and is a very well-known congressman, but it's seen as doubtful that Governor Kemp will pick him, um, partly because he has such a strained relationship with President Trump, owing to the fact that he had to resign in disgrace uh, because of an expense scandal involving more than a million dollars in taxpayer-funded flights that uh, on, on military jets and, and other jets that, that Tom Price took. Well, he is his his hat is in the ring and and Governor Kemp will, will be vetting him along with Doug Collins and, and many, many, many other more than more than 450 other applicants, many of them kind of, you know, everyday folks who probably won't be getting a lot of consideration, but a few bigger names that, that will. Exactly. And that, that Tom Price charter flight scandal was was almost exactly two years ago. I remember the both of us, you know, on the way to Yom Kippur services, you know, the Jewish Day of Atonement, when all of that news broke that that Trump was firing Tom Price, not only because of all the flight, the charter jets, but, you know, this was when the president was trying to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act and and Price, you know, while he started out in the center of that, you know, kind of moved out of that inner circle, it felt, you know, the president was putting more trust in, in Mick Mulvaney, his budget director, who eventually became his uh, his acting chief of staff. But since then, you know, we've seen Tom Price definitely kind of fade into the background, but still kind of stay involved in politics. You know, he's joined a couple healthcare boards. He's given some, some interesting interviews, including one on David Axelrod's podcast. 
he helped consult with uh, Governor Kemp as he started pull t- pulling together his proposal for a, a waiver for, for Medicaid. So he's definitely been kind of building back up his kind of public persona. And we've also seen over the last couple of months, he's been trying to use a lot of his leftover campaign money to create a new sort of nonprofit to help promote his um, his work on health care. So we, we are expecting to see a lot more, f- more from him regardless. Exactly. And you mentioned that leftover campaign money. It's about 1.8 million bucks. So that is, that is a very hefty sum and would give him a, a, a big starting head start advantage um, in, in this race if he's the guy. Um, we'll be following that and a whole lot more. Shamar, you mentioned Yom Kippur about two years ago. Well, happy Rosh Hashanah. It's coming up. Well, it'll be Monday. Uh, so we'll be in synagogue. So um, if Kemp does make any big news or if any more impeachment news comes out, you'll see other bylines on those stories as we are we are huddled in synagogue um, uh, welcoming the Jewish New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, Greg. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.